is in First Peter chapter 1. You can see from your outline, Paul's going to be on verses 10, 11, and 12. I'm going to read from the beginning, okay, from the beginning of, of the epistle of Peter, down through verse 12. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, Yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ, and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which even angels desire to look into. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time, and we thank you for your revelation that... uh, Even angels don't fully understand. And yet you have blessed us with faith by revealing yourself to us. And we thank you and praise you for that, Lord. And we ask that this morning that you would use your servant Paul to speak to us, to speak your truth to us, that our lives may be changed this morning because of what you tell us. So... Use him and spend him for your glory, Lord, and give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us. So speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have uh, quite a few prayer requests this morning, Uh, different people with different things. Um, I want you to continue to pray for Johnny and Margie and their situation that God would provide for them. Um, he has provided for them, but uh, provide them for them in a more uh, permanent way. That's important. Uh, so 
Uh, please keep them in your prayers. There's quite a few people out sick. And um, so please, um, please pray for Roy. Please, is Roy here? No, he's not here, is he? No, please pray for Roy. Um, please pray for uh, Betty and Barry. They're not, uh, I think they've still got COVID. Um, Sean with his knee. Did his knee in, so uh, he needs prayer. Chris, uh, he was uh, working, trying to get one of those, uh, you know, one of those metal pole things, the twisty ones that have the sharp edges. He was trying to get it out the ground, and it broke, and it hit his face. So it cut him right across his cheek. Uh, so he had to have a bunch of uh, stitches in that. That's why he's not here today. <laughs> Um, so, um, quite a few people in the wars. And then also, um, Suzanne just tells me that Sam has COVID. Okay, so Sam has COVID and is serious. Uh, we really need to keep him in our prayers. Obviously, they, um, they need to balance the, uh, the medicine that they have for his kidneys and for the, you know, the acceptance of his kidney, of the body of, of uh, accepting his kidney with the treatments for COVID. And it's kind of one or the other kind of thing. They've got to get the balance right on that. So we really need to keep Sam in prayer. Uh, no, not at the moment. But uh, it's, he's not well. Okay, he's not doing that well. So... Uh, we're going to pray for him, but we're going to remember to keep him in prayer this week, okay? That God would intervene, get rid of this COVID, and uh, that Sam will be, uh, be okay. So let's, uh, let's come before the Lord, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, lift our prayers up to you as you have ordained. You want us to come to you, and we wouldn't come to you, Lord, if we didn't have faith that you would hear us and that you had power to answer us. And Father, we come in the name of Jesus Christ with just those assurances, knowing, uh, Heavenly Father, that because you are a good God, because you are a prayer-answering God, that we can come to you and we will be heard. And because you are a powerful God, Lord, that you can answer our prayers. And we do indeed pray for Sam. We lift him up, Lord, and we pray that uh, this COVID would go, that you would uh, put your healing hand on him and get rid of this COVID and bless him, Lord. Be with the doctors, give them wisdom, and may he get the very best treatment that he can get. But, Lord, I do pray that you would interpose here your power, your goodness to, uh, to get rid of this COVID. For others that have got COVID, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would heal them, get them through this, give them the immunity that they uh, they need. We also pray for Chris, that, uh, Lord, his face would not be scarred and uh, that he would recover quickly. I know they're moving into their home on Thursday, so pray that that goes well and that uh, there's no more... Uh, hassles or troubles about that. We ask, Lord, you bless Roy. Give him strength, Lord. Uh, bless 
the Deatons, Lord, and uh, prepare, uh, Lord, a, a place for them. Uh, bless them, give them your peace at this time, knowing, Lord, that, uh, Lord, you have not forgotten about them, that you will indeed supply above and beyond which they ask, ask or think. For any others that are sick, Lord, for Sean with his uh, knee, uh, for others that, uh, Lord, are uh, laid aside for Frank here, we just pray, Lord, that your blessing and uh, your strength be with each one. They each have uh, individual needs, Lord, that you can meet where they need it. And this is what we ask for. We thank you, dear Lord, that even though uh, our outward man perishes, our inward man is renewed day by day. And so, Lord, with that understanding, we turn to your word and we ask for your blessing, your help in understanding this portion of First Peter. May your spirit guide us and teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, First Peter chapter 1. This passage, verses 10 through 12, is uh, Peter kind of, as it were, summing up the first section, the first sentence, really, of uh, his introduction to his letter. He has spoken about our election. He has spoken about God's abundant mercy and how that comes to us through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are connected to the resurrection of Christ. Now, yes, we're connected to the death of Christ. We need to be connected to the death of Christ in order for our sins to be dealt with. But that's not where things end. We need to be connected not just to death, but to life. And not just any life either, but the life of the Son of God, the life who gave himself for us and rose again for our justification. That life is our hope. That life is our guarantee. That life is our acceptance. And everything else that follows is predicated on that. The inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. That inheritance that's reserved in heaven for all of us is based on the grace of God and the work of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And then we, who have trusted in that, are, verse 5, kept by God's power. And I'm very grateful that we're kept by the power of God, not by our own steam. That would not be good news at all, would it? It's like, here's this wonderful news. You can have forgiveness of sins and inheritance and citizenship in heaven, the only thing you have to do is be good enough to earn it. That would not be a very good gospel. In this, verse 6, you greatly rejoice. And why wouldn't we greatly rejoice that the work is done by God himself, the creator and the ruler of heaven and the ruler of all creation? 
But in this life, there are difficulties, there are trials, there are problems of all sorts. We've just been praying for some. All of you could name some that uh, you're going through right now. And so it is needful that in this world these things will arise. But these things are valued by God. They test our faith. And they don't just test our faith from our side of the coin. God sees the testing of our faith. God sees our trust in Jesus in adverse circumstances. He sees up and hears our prayers for others and our attempts to follow Jesus. And these things, he said, in verse 7, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at Jesus' return. The praise, honor, and glory is our praise, honor, and glory because that's related to the testing of our faith. So I know it's not easy to have your faith tested. I know it's not easy to be buffeted and to be fearful. And all of the different tests, all of the different trials that come upon us, we just wish they were a little bit different than they actually are. It seems as though they are oftentimes fashioned in such a way that they are just nigglers in the right place. They get us off balance. They turn us in on ourselves and away from God. This is where faith has got to counteract that influence. We turn our faith back on to Jesus Christ so that our trials are dealt with in the perspective of his love, of his knowledge of what we're going through, and we know that he will reward our faithfulness. Because we don't see what's going to happen. We don't see him and how attentive he is to us. We're told that he is. And so we've got to grasp hold of that In grasping hold of that, we can deal with our difficulties and we can be content in our circumstances. Why? Because in verse 9 we know that we will indeed receive the end of that faith, the salvation, the full salvation of our souls, which includes the inheritance. It includes eternal life. It includes that elusive peace and joy that you can't find in this world. And this brings us to verse 10, where Peter goes back to the Old Testament prophets and he reminds his readers that they prophesied about Jesus Christ. They prophesied about his work, about his resurrection and about what that would be, what would that mean for us? What Peter calls in uh, verse 10 at the end there, the grace that would come to you. The grace that would come to you. Now grace here is everything that I've just told you about. 
the election, the mercy, the inheritance, the joy unspeakable, all of those things, all of those things are given to us by a God of grace. They're not earned. They're not earned. That doesn't mean that you can uh, glide through life claiming to be a Christian and doing nothing for the Lord. That's proof that you're actually not a Christian. Okay? That at least casts doubt in the minds of others, and it ought to cast uh, cast doubt in your mind if you are not committed to the God who has given you this grace. But if there is this yearning, if there is this longing for God's truth, if there is this thankfulness for what he has done for you and this anticipation of what he will do for you, what he will complete through the Spirit of God who has been given to you, then we need to know and need to thank God constantly that all of this is delivered to us by God's grace. And the Old Testament prophets told us about this. Now, they did not tell us in great detail. They did not tell us in um, the, the, such clear terms that we didn't need more information when Jesus came. Because we're told that the prophets searched into their own prophecies. Verse 11, the prophets was searching what or in what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was, what's that word? Indicating. Just indicating. When he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So there are indications in the Old Testament about Jesus about his work and about how that affects his saints. You see this, of course, in Isaiah 53. You might be very familiar with that passage which talks about the rejection of Jesus Christ, his substitutionary uh, offering on our behalf. He was wounded for our transgressions. Do you remember that? There are several other passages, Psalm 22 comes to mind, that point to the work of Christ. But much of the uh, prophetic literature in the Old Testament, which has to do with Christ, has to do with his victory. It has to do with his reign. It has to do with his glory. It has to do with his coming and transforming the world so that it becomes a world that is fit for the kingdom of heaven to dwell in and reign over, that is fit for the saints to be happy in, and where Satan is expelled, and all those children of the devil are not given entrance. So the prophets had things to say both about the first coming and the second coming of Jesus Christ, but they kind of fused the things together. They didn't separate them 
the New Testament separates those things for us and it identifies this coming one, this suffering servant and this reigning servant as one and the same person, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, they didn't know that it was going to be Jesus. They didn't know that that was what he was going to be called. And they couldn't have known, many of them, that he would die on a Roman cross. But they did know that the Messiah would come. They did know that he would die for others on behalf of others. And they did know that the reason that he had to come and do that is because God wanted to save sinners. Not just save them, he wanted to save them forever so that he could dwell in their midst, be their God, they be his people. And they dwell in a world where there is no more schism between heaven and earth. But heaven comes to earth. God who reigns in heaven comes to earth and reigns with his saints on his earth. That's why we can rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's why the prophets tried to figure this out. Now, everything that was given to the prophets as prediction about the time of Christ and his sufferings and his resurrection and his second coming, it was all accurate. It could all be understood literally. These predictions did not say and predict one thing and mean something different. No, there was information there that was given to these prophets that they themselves tried to figure out. And they figured them out or tried to search them by believing them. (laughs) Not by transforming them. We're told... In verse 12, to them, that is the prophets, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. See, the prophets, they were given a measure of the Holy Spirit so that they could make these predictions and write their prophecies. But they were not given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That didn't happen until Jesus had risen again and he went to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us. Do you understand, therefore, what an amazing privilege it is to live this side of the cross? And even now, as Paul says, we see through a glass darkly about the age to come. But how much more the other side of the cross, 
before Jesus had come, before he had spoken the words and done the miracles that he'd done, before he'd made that amazing impact upon the history that he has. Where you see people wanted to search. They knew this one was coming. They knew that he would do these amazing things. They knew that he would be the redeemer, the hope of mankind. That they couldn't quite separate, you know, the first from the second coming. They couldn't quite understand all of these different parts about him. The full picture of Jesus and who he is is given for us in those four Gospels. So much information there that you can't find in the Old Testament that fill out the portrait of Jesus and the work of God through Jesus. And we've got those Gospels. And people don't read them. People don't read them. But what a gift they are. What an amazing thing and a privilege it is to be born this side of the writing of the New Testament. We're in a better place than those Old Testament prophets. We have much more information than they ever did. They knew that they were writing for a future day, for a future people. And here we are. And we can sometimes be pretty nonchalant about what God has given to us. They search. Sometimes we don't do very much searching. I again remind you, as I remind myself, God rewards faith. And that faith is shown by our diligent attention to his word. It is so important, particularly in these latter days that I believe that we're in, that we give attention to the word of God. That we seek to grow. Not by... Um, being told what we want to hear but by actually paying attention to what God is saying only when we do that really are we recognizing and, and properly acknowledging and respecting the, what the prophets did So the prophets searched their own prophecies, tried to comprehend them, tried to comprehend this coming Messiah. But they weren't the only ones who searched. They weren't the only ones who wanted to know. Because at the end of verse 12, it says that the angels also desired to look into these things. Let us remind ourselves again of verse 12. To them, that's the prophets, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you 
through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Now, this tells me a a couple of important things. It tells me that God doesn't tell the angels everything that he's planning to do. It tells me also that the angels are very interested in us and what happens to us and what God has done for us. You see, before the coming of Jesus into the world, I'm sure the angels were somewhat uh, in a similar position than the prophets. How is God going to do this? There they are. Can you imagine being an angel in heaven? You look down on earth and you see all of the corruption and the wickedness and the violence and the evil, unspeakable evil that went on here and there and this town and that town and this country and over here and way over here, all over where any human being was. There it was, this stain of sin and evil. How on earth is God going to reconcile that? How on earth is he going to make something of that rather than judge it and destroy it? They were interested to see what God was going to do. They knew that God was such a God that he wouldn't give up on his own creation. He wouldn't throw in the towel, as it were, and say, well, this is is above my pay grade. I I can't do anything with these rebels. How was it going to be done? The angels desire to look into such things. But also, the angels now desire to know more about how God is going to get, okay, a bunch of saved sinners, but still rascals. Yes? See, I said, I didn't say dirtbags, I said rascals this time. How's he going to get them to dwell with him in glory forever? How's he going to change them? Now, we understand, they understand, of course, that Jesus has come and there's a connection to the resurrection. And at one point, Jesus is going to come back and we are going to be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. They understand that, but they don't know how. They don't can't envisage what it's going to look like when it's all done. They still wonder at what God is doing in the church. They still have this anticipation and this um, excitement, I'm sure, When is this going to be concluded? And what's it going to look like? And how's he going to take somebody like Paul Hennebery? What's he going to make of him? 
What's it going to be like when he finally comes through life in a cursed world and a cursed body, still encumbered by sin? When that is all done away with, what is the end result going to be like? And not just for Hanabry, but for the whole of the saints throughout history. What is that final community, that eternal community going to look like? The angels desire to look into that, which means that there is a lively interest in heaven about what happens on earth. You know, I wish, I wish that there would be some kind of a a glass bottom or something like that in heaven and we just peer up there so we could see them peering down at us, you know? So at least there'd be some encouragement for us to keep going. Okay, yes, I see the cloud of witnesses. I see the angels peering down here so I can keep going. But God hasn't vouchsafed that for us because we walk by faith, not by sight. But I can say this, if the angels desire to look into this amazing transformative work that the Holy Spirit is doing in us until Jesus returns, then they are interested in us. They're on our side. This also tells us that our worldview, our understanding of the world, our understanding of, of the reality that we interact with is not just the extent of our five senses. But there are spiritual beings, very active, very interested in what's going on around us and within us. The bad news is that, of course, they're not all good. There are a lot of demonic powers around us. We think, I think too much, we think in terms of just bad human beings and uh, just the corruption of power. And of course that is true. But there are spiritual influences behind all of these things too. Very real. Very real. And in touch in some way. Interacting in some way. And our encouragement is that angels, the good guys, the ones who will finally be sent into the world to deal with those demonic powers, they're on our side. They're interested in what's happening to us. Sometimes, according to the book of Hebrews, they even get a a chance to come and mingle with us just for a bit, and we entertain angels unawares. That is the biblical worldview. What is it, as far as uh, Peter is concerned? How does he 
kind of envisage everything that he's spoken about in this first, uh, these first 12 verses. Well, verse 11 tells us, that the prophets here were searching what or what manner of time. They wanted to know what it was and they wanted to know when it would be. Kind of like us, yes? We want to know when Jesus is coming back. Yeah. And we want to know what it's going to be like. The Spirit of Christ, this is the Holy Spirit, this is an indication of the deity of Jesus, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and of the glories that would follow. Sufferings of Christ and the glories. Now what, we understand the sufferings of Christ, yes? We understand that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We understand that, uh, you know, many times he didn't have a place to lay his head, that he was tempted, as we are, yet without sin. We understand that he groaned at the tomb of his dead friend, that he got angry and indignant at the injustice that he saw, at the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. We understand what he had to put up with, but then we understand also that he allowed himself to be killed by those powers of evil, put to death unjustly and painfully in our stead. So we understand that, but what about the glories that would follow? Because that fits in, you see, with what Peter has been saying about our inheritance, about our joy unspeakable and full of glory, about our praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. They, the prophets, understood that there would be glories, plural, incredible transformations of the saints and the saints' world. Those transformations would not just be physical and geographical changes, although they would uh, happen too. They wouldn't just be changes to uh, the trees and changes to the ground so there'd be no more thorns and thistles coming up. It wouldn't just be changes in the weather patterns or uh, making sure no more earthquakes or tornadoes would happen. All of that's true, but it would be complete transformation of the atmosphere in which all of these changes would occur. And this is something that is a little bit indefinable. This is something that always has intrigued me, and I wish that the Spirit of God would give me more information, but he, doesn't, he hasn't done now. But I can at least say this. The glories which will follow will include the absence of all of those things 
that make life such a difficult life right now. Not just personally as they, as we meet them and, uh, you know, we encounter these pains and these sorrows and these strifes, but we won't even hear about them either because they'll be gone. They won't afflict anybody else either. Think about that. No more bad news of any sort. But replaced, replacing that, glories. Glories that are, from our vantage point, indescribable right now. But those glories will transform the world outwardly and inwardly. So that peace that we can't find, that joy that eludes us, that's always a little bit ahead of us, even in the best of times. That longing for contentment with our lot, all of those things amplified are what Peter has in mind here. The angels want to look into that. The prophets wanted to look into that. And so do you. Unfortunately, I cannot tell you any more about it. But what I can do is say, you need to believe it's real. You need to have faith in it. You need to expect that it's coming. Because this is the testimony of the Spirit of Christ to us. And the same Spirit who gave us these words that we are to believe in is the same Spirit who is going to bring these things to our doorstep. And we, what is our role in all of this? Well, certainly, there's nothing that we've done to deserve any of it. There's nothing that we are headed for that we have, uh, you know, merited. But our role is to believe. Our role is to grasp these promises of God and be like Peter and be like the people that Peter wrote to who were going through persecutions and difficult times. And by faith, bring these realities into the present. Not by spiritualizing them. I mean, they're going to be real things. But making sure that we know what the future holds for us. It's nothing but good. Okay, it's nothing but good. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we live this side of the cross. We thankful, we're thankful that we have a completed Bible. 
that we can read and we can study. We know so much more than the prophets knew. And living these lives by faith, we experience more than the angels could ever experience. And so, Lord, with honor ahead for us and glory ahead for us, help us to honor you right now and glorify you right now by believing that you follow us through this life and that you go ahead of us through this life and that you are there for us and that you will one day deliver us into that full salvation of which Peter speaks. Praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. May he come soon. Amen. Today is from Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul writes to us, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Have a blessed week.